The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today we're going to try something new and have a special guest host the MarTech Podcast. Edward Nevermont is a speaker and executive consultant that helps great companies grow beyond expectations. Edward has been one of the most consistently successful executives in business as demonstrated by his notable career achievements. He's also the author of the book Marketing BS, which he so kindly came on the show to talk about a few months ago. And prior to becoming an author, Edward has also served as the CMO and CRO of General Assembly. He was the CMO of A Place for Mom, and he was also the VP of Customer Loyalty at Expedia. Edward publishes a regular newsletter called the Marketing BS Newsletter. We have a link to it in the show notes. It's something that I find to be incredibly insightful, and I think it'll give you a lot of insight into how a great marketer thinks about marketing research. And that's why we had Ed read his newsletter and come on the show today to talk about how he thinks about marketing research and how it's related to the COVID-19 crisis. Okay, and with that said, here is our guest host, Ed Nevermont. Charting COVID-relating deaths is a morbid but necessary process for learning more about the virus. At first glance, the fatality rate of COVID-19 seems to vary dramatically from one place to the next. By taking Worldometer's tracking data for any country with more than 40 deaths and simply dividing the deaths by the total number of confirmed cases, you get an astonishingly wide range of fatality rates. In Italy, over 10% of patients diagnosed with COVID-19 have died. On the other end of the spectrum, Germany, where only 0.61% of patients with positive cases have died. Two European nations with fatality rates that differ by more than an order of magnitude. Why and how? There are three common explanations for the significant variation in fatality rates by country. Number one, death rates spike when a high number of patients overwhelm the hospitals, resulting in a shortage of ventilators, a problem that impacted Italy and Iran and may have hindered treatment options in New York and Detroit. Number two, there are cohort issues, an example I explained a few weeks ago in coronavirus and cohorts. If, for example, infections are spreading rapidly and there is a delay of several weeks between infection and death, then simply dividing current deaths by current infections will radically understate the eventual death rate. Number three, there are testing issues. If you test a patient in serious condition, you will likely overstate the death rate. Anyone with mild or asymptomatic cases won't die by definition, but they also won't get tested, so they don't get counted at all. 
If people with mild or no symptoms were accurately tested and counted, they would bring down the average death rate. In addition to these three explanations, there are several other factors that may be responsible for the extreme variation in fatality rates by country. Cause of death. COVID-19 is particularly dangerous for people with pre-existing medical conditions, especially heart disease, diabetes, and chronic respiratory diseases, like asthma. Suppose a person with heart disease, diabetes, or asthma contracts COVID and subsequently dies. Should their cause of death be recorded as COVID or as their pre-existing condition? This STAT article from late February outlines the way that China revised their definition of COVID-related deaths. Quote, on February 12th, the National Health Committee announced that there was changing the way cases were counted in the Hubei province. People with symptoms of the disease and with evidence of pneumonia on a CT scan, but who had not been tested for the presence of the virus, in other words, people who had a clinical diagnosis, would be added to the list of cases. The criteria for determining the cause of death varies depending on the country and city, and perhaps even according to the individual hospital or individual medical practitioner. The lack of universal guidelines has clouded our ability to compare fatality rates from one country to another. Dosage. Viral load refers to the number of viral particles carried by an infected individual. Quite simply, a person with sustained direct exposure to a virus, like living with an infected person, will receive a higher viral load than a person with a brief indirect exposure, like touching a doorknob at a store. In previous pandemics, increasing viral load correlated with higher fatality rates. I linked to a 2005 academic study analyzing the case of an apartment building where almost every resident contracted SARS. The death rate varied dramatically based on the physical distance between the apartment for each resident and the one for the index patient. A separate study in 1986 from West Africa concluded that patients exposed to measles by a family member died at much higher rates than patients infected with measles via external sources. According to preliminary research about COVID-19, there is a correlation between high viral load and more severe symptoms. In practical terms, this information suggests that people infected by prolonged contact with an infected individual are far more likely to experience serious consequences, including death, than someone who is infected by an incidental contact like touching a grocery cart. Let's return to the question of why some countries are facing greater numbers of deaths and cases. In Italy, multi-generational living arrangements are common. Could their close-knit family structure, with regular opportunities for family members to infect each other with high doses, explain their high hospitalization and death rates? potentially. Culture. On Twitter, Trevor Sutcliffe posted his curious analysis of death rates in Switzerland. He found that, quote, COVID-19 has been twice as likely to kill patients in French-speaking cantons of Switzerland than in German-speaking, and more than twice as likely to kill patients in Italian-speaking cantons than in French ones. Are cultural differences, especially in terms of physical contact, responsible for these extreme variations? Italians hugging each other, French kissing cheeks, and Germans politely nodding their heads from across the room. Here are two less plausible explanations for the variation in fatality rates by country. Strains. Another theory suggests the possibility of multiple strains of the virus. Perhaps a powerful strain swept across northern Italy while a weaker strain hit Japan. At the moment, no credible virologists have supported this theory. Genetic differences. Are Italians simply more susceptible to the coronavirus? This theory seems absurd unless there's some gene linking Italians, Spaniards, Iranians, New Yorkers, and Chinese with different, less susceptible gene traceable to Germans, Japanese, South Koreans, and Nigerians. Japan and Iceland, the island of animalities. With only 1,866 total cases and 54 deaths, Japan appears to have avoided a substantial COVID outbreak. How? So far, few experts can explain Japan's situation. Japan is one of the first non-Chinese countries infected, 
And in contrast to other countries, they, one, did not impose widespread lockdowns, two, did not employ extensive testing, and three, did not use high-tech surveillance to reduce community transmission. Moreover, Japan has the highest percentage of citizens over the age of 65, the demographic of people who are most susceptible to COVID-related hospitalization and death. Although Japanese culture includes elements of social distance, urban population density is high, and subways hire professional pushers to squeeze people into trains. On many levels, the explanation for Japan's relative success is still a mystery. At this point, our collective knowledge about COVID-19 is limited. There are more unanswered questions than comprehensive answers. Some countries are trying to pick away at specific questions. Let's take a look at Iceland's latest efforts. Companies are struggling to identify the total number of positive cases within their borders. Without extensive testing, government officials cannot track mild or asymptomatic cases. Instead, many governments only record serious cases, which are by definition more likely to result in fatality. With one, inadequately low number of tests, and two, disproportionate testing of serious cases, a country could radically overestimate their fatality rate, with no idea of the margin of that overestimation. The clear solution. Test everyone, or as many people as possible, so that you have a clearer picture of the total number of positive cases. Iceland has pursued this strategy. From the March 25th article of Al Arabiya, as of Sunday night, the country's health authorities and biotechnology firm Decode Genetics have tested more than 10,300 people. That might not sound like a large number compared to the around 350,000 Americans who have been tested for coronavirus, according to the COVID tracking project, but it is a far higher percentage of tests per capita, a ratio Icelandic authorities have claimed is the highest in the world. But it is not just the number of people being tested that is unusual about Iceland's approach. Unlike other countries where people are only tested if they exhibit symptoms of the coronavirus or have come into contact with known spreaders, the country is testing thousands of people from the general population who don't exhibit any symptoms of the virus whatsoever, helping to reveal information about the nature of the pathogen and its symptoms. While Iceland only has 218 confirmed cases among its tiny population, its testing program has produced crucial data about the coronavirus, that half of those who were tested positive had no coronavirus symptoms. This information suggests that widespread testing is an effective strategy. Iceland has tested 10,300 random people, identifying 218, or about 2.1%, with the virus. Because half of the positive cases showed no symptoms, these people might have, without using random testing, continued to unknowingly infect other people. In other words, extensive testing slows down community transmission. But just as we solved one problem, we expose another. False positives with low penetration rate. The problem with personalization. Back in 2012, the New York Times published an article that exposed how retailers were using massive databases of consumer data to predict customer behavior. This article shares the story of a father who was furious that Target had mailed coupons for baby clothes and cribs to his 16-year-old daughter, implying that she was pregnant. Two days later, the father apologized. His daughter was pregnant, something that Target's algorithm had identified before he did. The anecdote quickly made the rounds with coverage in Forbes, Time, Fox News, and Daily Mail. Marketers still rely on this target-figured-out-a-teen-pregnancy story to highlight the power of personalization. The tale is particularly popular with vendors who sell personalization services and employees who want to do cool stuff. People treat big data like a magic wand that can reveal secrets about customer activity, helping companies make lots of money by better serving customer needs. But there's one big problem with Target's story. The author's claims were just not true. In the original New York Times article, the retailer, Target, refuted the details of the anecdote. Quote, when I sent Target a complete summary of my reporting, the reply was more terse. Almost all of your statements contain inaccurate information, and publishing them would be misleading to the public. We do not intend to address each statement point by point. End quote. My perspective. The story is false. And how do I know? Math. 
For the purpose of this hypothetical explanation, let's assume two facts. One, 2% 2 of women in a specific age group are pregnant at any given time. Two, Target developed an algorithm that could identify pregnant women with 90% accuracy. If those facts are true, here's how things would play out with a group of 1,000 women. 20 women, 2% of 1,000, are pregnant. Target would correctly identify 18 of them as pregnant, 20 of those women times 90% accuracy. 980 women, 98% of 1,000, were not pregnant. Target would incorrectly identify 98 of them as pregnant, 980 times the 10% error rate. In this hypothetical example, Target's algorithm identifies 116 women, the 18 that are pregnant that they correctly identified, and the 98 who aren't pregnant that they incorrectly identified as pregnant. But only 18 of these women are actually pregnant. Thus, Target's 90% accurate algorithm is only correct 15% of the time. 18 pregnant divided by 116 identified as pregnant. Without question, 15% is a much higher identification of pregnancy than complete chance, which would be 2% in this example. But suppose a company developed a personalization tool that was accurate only 15% of the time. Would they really mail a flyer saying congratulations on your new baby? Of course not. Not with 15% accuracy. Despite what many vendors claim, personalization is not the holy grail of marketing. Personalization can help remove small groups from the overall sample. This tactic can marginally improve targeting. In this example, the pool of women that Target's algorithm identified as definitely not pregnant had a lower than 0.5% chance of actually being pregnant. Perhaps you want to remove those people from ads for prenatal vitamins for flyers that you're going to send out anyway. Sure. But remember that personalization cannot accurately identify small segments within a larger sample with any degree of accuracy, unless your false positive rate is close to zero. The problem with Iceland. There are two main methods to test people for infection with coronavirus. One, nose and throat swabs detect the RNA of the virus. Or two, a blood test measures the antibody responses to the virus in a person's blood serum. Blood tests are not only more accurate for identifying positive cases, but they can also determine if a person was previously infected. Recall that Iceland tested 10,300 random people identifying 218, 2.1%, with the virus. For that round of testing, Iceland used nose swabs. So, how accurate are Iceland's tests? We don't know. Typical nose and throat swab tests for influenza can identify positive cases with 50 to 70% accuracy. Tests show a false positive rate of approximately 5 to 10% in these cases. Using the above information, we can apply the same process I used to debunk the target teen pregnancy story. For the purposes of the hypothetical illustration, let's assume a few facts. Iceland tested 10,000 people. 1% of the citizens are currently infected. This is a totally hypothetical number. COVID-19 test is 70% accurate, using the top end of the influenza test. COVID-19 test presents false positives on 5% of cases, using the bottom end of the influenza test. Here's how things might have unfolded for those 10,000 people. 100 people, 1% of the 10,000, are infected. The test correctly identifies 70 of these people, 100 people times 70% accuracy. 9,900, or 99% of the 1,000, are not infected. The test correctly identifies 495 of these people, so the test incorrectly identifies 495 of these people, 9,900 people times 5% error rate with a false positive. In this hypothetical example, Iceland's test identifies 565 people, 70 plus 496, as infected. But only 70 of these people, 12.3%, actually have the virus. Obviously, the numbers from this hypothetical example don't align with Iceland's official reports. The country only found 218 confirmed cases. How can we explain this discrepancy? Well, there are three possible reasons. One, their base rate is significantly lower than 1%. Two, their sample is not really random. 
Three, their test accuracy is far higher than the 70%, 5% false positive we cited for the flu tests. Still, no wonder that Iceland discovered that half the people they identified had no symptoms. When you test a random sample where the base rate is very low, false positives often overpower your results, unless your test is uncannily accurate. I know of only one example of using random blood tests. In San Miguel County, Colorado, 645 first responders were given blood tests. These tests provided highly accurate results. Every test came back negative. Two had a mild signal change, which leads to recommendations for 12-day isolation and additional testing as a precaution. Due to these limited parameters of the tests, we cannot learn much useful data about the true asymptomatic rate of COVID-19 infection. If anyone does come across a large-scale blood testing results, please do share them in the comments. Final thoughts. Number one, do not assume that if you contract the coronavirus, you have a 50% chance of experiencing no symptoms at all. At this stage in our knowledge, I do not think we can tell the difference between one, someone who is asymptomatic, and two, someone who does not have the infection at all but registered as a false positive on a swab test. If I am right, then COVID has not spread as far as the worst projections. But this would also mean that the diagnosed death rate may not be as overstated as some optimists hope. Two, problems with testing doesn't mean that extensive testing is not helpful. Paul Romer, in a short post, Paul Romer is the 2018 Nobel Prize winner and former chief economist of the World Bank, he ran some simulations on COVID strategies. He considered the impact of running extensive tests and then placing all people who test positive into quarantine, allowing the rest of the economy to function normally. Romer analyzed the limits of the test's inaccuracy before the strategy would not work. His conclusion? Even if we took action based on a test that was only 20% accurate, we could still dramatically reduce the devastation caused by COVID-19. Number three, dosage might matter. This concept should increase your motivation to protect yourself and take precautions. If you wear gloves and a mask to a grocery store, you might still end up contracting the coronavirus, but not as big a viral load as you might receive without protection. A lower viral load may allow your body to better fight off the virus, saving you a possible trip to the hospital, or worse. Rumors abound that the CDC will reverse its previous suggestion about masks. A forthcoming message might recommend that people wear masks whenever leaving the home. See last week's post on the reasons why Americans hold such little trust in official departments. Number four. Or you think of taking a break from the coronavirus stuff and initiating a personalization project for your business? If so, please don't. Keep it safe, keep it simple, and stay safe. I've been Edward Nevermont, and this is Marketing BS. All right, that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Ed Nevermont from Marketing BS for being our guest host today. If you'd like to learn more about Ed, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile, which is in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Ed Never, E-D-N-E-V-E-R. You can visit his website, which is marketingbs.com. And if you like this newsletter and you'd rather see it in written form, you can also go to marketingbs.substack.com to subscribe. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. 
Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. A couple of links in our show notes that I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of our episodes and contact information for our guests. Of course, you could always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, pretty much everywhere. And my personal handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a regular stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.